Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. You are listening to a sermon series through the second half of the Gospel of Mark, entitled, Come Die With Me. Okay, so Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem to die. And he's invited his disciples to come with him and die with him. He's invited them to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. And on his way, he meets this man, this guy who church tradition has called the rich young ruler. Because Matthew tells us he was young and Luke tells us he was a ruler. And in Mark chapter 10... In verse 17, we read that this rich young ruler runs up to Jesus and falls on his knees in front of Jesus. Both of these actions within that culture show an incredible amount of respect for the other person. A dignified person would never run. A dignified person would never fall on their knees. And so he's humbling himself before Jesus. And he asks in verse 17, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now I can tell you as a Bible teacher that any pastor or rabbi would love to be asked that question. That's a great question. I mean, this guy's clearly got his priorities right. He's asking the right question, the big question of life. How do I inherit eternal life? And he's asking the right person, Jesus. How does Jesus respond? Well, kind of like a deep freezer. He starts nitpicking at technicalities. I mean, he's not even criticizing the guy's question, but the greeting that precedes it. And we read in verse 18, Why do you call me good? No one is good. Except God alone. It's like writing, thank you so much for your letter. You asked many fascinating questions. But please can you explain, what exactly do you mean when you wrote, dear sir? In what way am I dear to you? And sir is equally inappropriate. I haven't been knighted. And as for that comma, I can just imagine the poor, rich, young ruler's face. Well, excuse me. The jury is instructed to strike the word good from the record, Mr. Just Slightly Above Average Teacher. And just before he walks away in disbelief, Jesus seems to realize he's been a bit abrupt. And he actually answers the guy's question directly by listing the Ten Commandments. We read in verse 19, You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not uh, give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now, if you were to get every Christian pastor, minister, vicar that you know, and if you were to ask them that question, what must you do to inherit eternal life? I bet you none of them would have answered like Jesus by listing the Ten Commandments. I mean, 
Do you have to do something in order to receive your inheritance? Surely you just receive the inheritance. Anyway, Jesus lists the Ten Commandments. One, you shall not murder. Two, you shall not commit adultery. Three, you shall not murder. Four, you shall not give false testimony. Five, you shall not defraud. Six, you shall not uh, honor your mother and father. Seven, well, uh, there seem to be a few missing. Okay, so Jesus quotes the six commandments. You all heard of the six commandments, right? No. Okay, it's a bit odd, isn't it? He misses four. He misses the three beginning about putting God first, having no idols, not taking God's name in vain. And he misses the last one about not coveting other people's possessions. Why? Why does he miss those four? It seems odd. Anyway, the, the uh, rich young ruler responds in verse 20, Teacher, he makes sure he doesn't make the same mistake twice, and he omits the word good. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, when a Jewish boy turns 13, he becomes bar mitzvah, son of the commandments. At that point, he is responsible for following God's commandments. And so he's saying sincerely that since he's turned 13, he's obeyed all those commandments. Now, he's hoping that Jesus will give him what he's desperately seeking. The assurance that he will inherit eternal life. But Jesus doesn't. Rather, Jesus responds by saying... One thing you lack. Or is it three? I can just imagine the scene. Jesus says in verse 21, One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and to give... Sorry, sorry. Two things you lack. (laughs) Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and then three... Okay, let's start again. Three, there are three things that you lack. Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and three, come follow me. So is it one thing or three things that he lacks? Well, in reality, it's only one. Because Jesus is not giving him a checklist of another three requirements, another three things you have to do, another three laws. But he's calling this rich young ruler, just as he called Peter and the other disciples, to a totally new attitude, to, a, to radically reorder and reorder your priorities. He's calling this rich young ruler and he's calling us to leave everything in order to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And we read in verse 22, At this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, he was very happy with a checklist spirituality. Just do these things, tick the box, And you're okay. But when he was called to completely recenter his life, it was too hard for him. See, it doesn't matter if you have been obeying God's command since you were a child, if God is not the center of your life, 
you still lack something. God needs to be the most important thing in your life. But the real shocking thing over here is that Jesus is claiming that he is the most important thing. That he needs to be the center. That he is more important than that rich young ruler's wealth and possessions. That we need to leave everything in order to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. See, that makes complete sense why he was nitpicking at the beginning. For his question, why do you call me good, is the precise answer to the rich young ruler's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If he truly knew why it was right to fall before Jesus and why it was right to call Jesus good, then he would have known it was right and worth leaving everything to follow Jesus. And then he would have had the one thing that he lacked. Jesus at the center of his life. And this also explains why Jesus left out those four commands. Those four commandments essentially deal with the heart. About our relationship with God. Our love for God. What are our idols? What do we covet after? Issues of our heart. The other six commandments are essentially the outward obedience. They're essentially the visible acts that everyone can see you doing. The rich young ruler was completely happy with the outward obedience. But his problem was his heart. You see, outwardly he looked sorted. He was young. He was rich. He was successful. He was a man of integrity. He was a godly man. He obeyed all the religious laws. I bet he was also good looking and had a great singing voice. You know what I mean? The kind of guy that has it all. And the envy of everyone. If he was to walk into church today, we would all think, that's a great guy. He's sorted. I wish I was like him. Outwardly sorted. But Jesus says there's something lacking in your life. What? What could possibly be missing in his life? Yet even he seems to acknowledge that there's something missing in his life. He comes to Jesus desperately seeking assurance that he will have eternal life. He lacks assurance. He lacks peace. Outwardly, he's sorted. But inwardly, something is missing. His heart is in the wrong place. He loves his money and his wealth more than God. His money and his wealth is his idol. He covets after money. And when Jesus says to him, you need to sell everything you have, Jesus is putting his finger on his idol and he becomes extremely uncomfortable. And he walks away sad because he's unable to give up his God, his idol, his wealth. But why does Jesus ask him to sell everything? 
I mean, Jesus doesn't ask anyone else to do this. Even Zacchaeus, the dishonest tax collector, only sold half his possessions and gave it to the poor. So why does Jesus ask this guy to sell everything? Is it because Jesus just had it in for him? He wanted to make it as hard as possible for this guy. No, of course not. The clue comes in verse 21, which says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus loved him and had compassion for him. And Jesus wants to save him from himself. You see, he's God. His idol is wealth. That's where he finds his identity. That's, that's who he is. And he's completely addicted to that. He's in slavery to it. He thinks he owns his possessions. But in reality, his possessions own him. He's a slave to it. And it's killing his life. Remember what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul, yet forfeit their life? His idol, his money, his wealth was sucking the life out of him. You see, the thing with idols is that they overpromise and they underdeliver. They promise us security and satisfaction and status, but they underdeliver. They never satisfy. There will always be something missing. Rather, we just end up being enslaved to our idol and we need more and more of our idol. We need more and more money, but they never satisfy. There will always be something missing. And Jesus, out of love for this guy, says, sell everything you have. Be free from your addiction. Be free from your idol and come follow me. So what's your idol? What's preventing you from following Jesus wholeheartedly? One way that we can discover what our idol is, is follow our money. What we're spending our money on. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. If you say, well, I've got a real heart for the poor, I really love the poor, but you never give financially to the poor, you don't love the poor. If you say, oh, I love God, but you never give sacrificially to the church, you don't love God. A second way to discover uh, where your idol is, is, by, is discovering what makes you feel really uncomfortable when people start talking about it. If you feel really uncomfortable when I start talking about money, money is probably your idol. Another way of discovering where, what your idol is, is by discovering where you find your identity. I'm rich. I'm successful. I'm good looking. I'm young. I'm a helper. I'm married. I have children. These are identities. And if we don't have them, we get extremely desperate in order to become rich and become successful, to become a husband or to become a father or whatever it is. See, you don't have to have something for it to be an idol. You don't have to be rich for money to be your idol. 
poor people or poorer people can cover it after money. They can believe if only I had a little bit more money, then I would have security and satisfaction and everything I need, only to get that little extra money and they're still not satisfied. And they're still saying, I just need a little bit more. It's their idol. They're coveting after it. Now, none of these things are, are bad in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money. It's when you love money more than God that it becomes an idol. An idol is when a good thing becomes a God thing. Being successful, having money, being a father, being married, being a helper, all these things are good. But when they take the place of God, when they become the center of your life, they become an idol and you become enslaved to it and they will never deliver. There will always be something missing. I've met so many people who will say, if only I can get a promotion, if only I can get married, if only I can have a child, then I'll be satisfied. And they achieve these goals and they're still not satisfied. Because an idol will never deliver. There will always be something missing. So what is your idol? What is preventing you from following Jesus wholeheartedly? Now, giving up an idol is difficult. Selling all your possessions is difficult. Leaving everything so you can follow Jesus wholeheartedly is costly. But ultimately, it's extremely rewarding. Jesus says in verse 30, that you will receive a hundred times as much in the present age and in the age to come, eternal life. You see, when you give up your idol and you make Jesus the center of your life, that is when you will experience a truly meaningful life. You'll find true purpose and meaning in life and fulfillment in life. Plus spiritual blessings, treasures in heaven. And ultimately, eternal life in the age to come. Now, Jesus doesn't offer us an easy life. Quite the contrary. He actually promises us persecutions. But he does promise us a more meaningful life. For when you give up your idols and you start following Jesus wholeheartedly, that is when you will truly start feeling alive it will be costly but ultimately it will be extremely rewarding when I first became a Christian the most important thing in my life was my wave ski surfing I was taking part in a lot of wave ski surfing competitions around the world and it was my whole life. It was where I found my identity. It was who I was. And, and as a result, I also needed to win. I needed to be the best because that's where my identity was. So it was really driven. When I became a Christian, there was a real conflict and a tension between surfing and Jesus. For Jesus was now the most important thing in my life. And that was where I primarily found my identity. My identity wasn't a surfer, but it was a Christian 
surfer. But I can remember uh, really wrestling with this. If Jesus is going to be the most important thing, the most important person in my life, does that mean I have to stop surfing? And there was a time that I did stop surfing and stop competing. That's a good way to see if it, uh, to test if something's an idol. Can you give it up? But we don't have to give up everything we enjoy to have Jesus as the center of our life. And I started to surf for Jesus. Jesus became the most important thing in my surfing. It changed the way I approached surfing. Uh, My whole goal was to please Jesus and to feel Jesus' pleasure when I was surfing. And it had a profound effect on how I surfed. And it's the same with everything in our life. Jesus wants to be the center, the most important thing of everything and every area in your life. And it's the same with our relationships. By having Jesus as the center of my life doesn't mean that I love Victoria less or I love Naomi less. In fact, quite the opposite. Because Jesus is the most important person in my life, and that's where I primarily find my identity, I now see myself primarily as a Christian husband and a Christian father. And Jesus meets my deepest desires and needs, so I'm able to be a better husband and a better father. I'm able to love Victoria better, and I'm able to love Naomi better. So where do you find your identity? What is preventing you from following Jesus wholeheartedly? Are you prepared to leave everything so that you can follow Jesus wholeheartedly? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that uh, when you call us to die to self, take up our cross and follow you, we often find it hard. We often find it difficult. We often feel that, Father, it would be easier for you to get a, a camel through an eye of a needle. But Father, we thank you that when you call us, it's because you love us. You call us because you want to save us from ourselves. You call us because you want what is best for us. You want us to experience life and life to the full. Father, we acknowledge it's not an easy life. We acknowledge that it will be hardships. But Father, we thank you that we can trust you that it will be a truly meaningful life. A life of purpose. A life that is ultimately extremely rewarding. But Father, we confess that we are weak. We get so caught up in various idols, trusting in them rather than in you. Father, won't you forgive us? Won't you reach down into us now by your Holy Spirit and empower us and enable us to follow you? Father, we thank you that although your word says this is impossible for mere humans, it's not impossible for you. 
You make the impossible possible. Father, we pray that you would do miracles in our life, that you would make the impossible in our life become a possible, uh, a, a, a reality. That we would be able to follow you. That we would be able to leave everything behind and follow you wholeheartedly. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Make this uh, last song a prayerful response. We've done this previously in the, the series. There's a song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Let's all stand now. And uh, as a way of commit, committing ourselves afresh to say, Father, we have decided to follow you. We will leave all else behind. We will make you the center. You will be the most important thing. We will have no other idol. Let's make this our prayerful response.